Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vincent Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Once again, it's great to be with you on this Thursday. It is February 25th, 2021, and what another day to get it right. Every day, his mercies are new every morning. Is that for someone this morning? His mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. My beloved Patricia would always say, another day to get it right, and she probably will say it again. But it is good to be with you today. We have some pretty good conversation that we're going to have, but I think today I want my brother down in Mexico to know, Brother Mark, that uh, last night there were people that came to, to our Bible study that heard your message yesterday, and one dear sister, Marissa, showed up with a brand new bottle of fluoride free toothpaste and she presented it to Patricia and I and gave it to us and I think seven or so people in the church said I want some too so a lot of people heard the message about uh, getting the fluoride out of your life and I think another great health benefit was the baking soda every day you took for a year and a half it helped alkaline the body and deal with some of that acidic as I understood it to be thank you for that information as well great interview yesterday By the way, we have been off the fluoride since we talked about it way back, what, 15 years ago, Mark, and we've been using Tom's, a lot of good product there, Tom's uh, fluoride-free toothpaste, and so uh, we're ordering the fluoride-free water filters from Berkey as well, and by the way, I think it would be an amazing investment to anybody that can do it uh, to get a Berkey filter with uh, just the regular filtration and the... uh, 
fluoride free. I mean, just a couple of minor steps, minor investments to help keep our um, selves prepared before the Lord so he can speak to us. In these last days, we're told in scripture that God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. I believe that that began 2,000 years ago in the upper room when the Holy Spirit came forward and touched a bunch of people uh, in Jerusalem, and they were wide open. I don't think their pineal gland was calcified with fluoride. I think they were wide open to more spiritual experiences, no doubt about it, whereas in our generation, because of the quality of food and all that stuff, we have been somewhat dumbed down and calcified over in that mechanism that God created to stir godly divine imagination. So we're going to believe that people are going to care about themselves enough to do things for themselves, not in body worship, not in, you know, my health is more important. You know, the Bible says that uh, physical exercise is nowhere near as beneficial as godly exercise. So, you know, physical exercise is good. Godliness is better. Nonetheless, don't ignore that part of your body. Keep it as healthy as you possibly can so that you don't get into the position of having these horrible diseases that there's no, you know, return from. And even when we do get into those critical places, prayer has worked. People have been totally set free and delivered from cancer. There are things you can do, but if you can avoid going into that by just keeping little things healthy, praise the Lord. And so it was a great interview yesterday. I'm thankful for it. I was going to share another video today that just came out. It's about an hour and 45 minutes. I'm not going to do it today. I may do it Saturday for anybody that has a, uh, uh, some time on Saturday or whenever. But it is a documentary that was put out about January 6th in Washington, D.C., what was really going on, indisputable evidence of the corruption, the deception, all of the different things that were happening on that day. And I think this documentary is probably going to stir an awakening if we can get it out far and wide. But right now, there's something else we want to get out far and wide, and that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am so glad that I have a Savior I am so glad that I have someone that is beyond anything anyone in this world could ever be. I am so glad that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. How can we minimize the value of eternal life? Have you ever stopped and thought about it that way? We have been given a gift that we are called in scripture to lay hold on. It's not whimsical. It is something of substance and value that we must take possession of. And eternal life is what makes going through this moment easier because we keep an eternal perspective. And if we would always remember the eternal perspective of things, it should enable us to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. I don't want to do anything in this life that is going to disqualify me or to lose sight of the eternal life that has been promised to me. You say, well, you can't. Yes, you can. I believe that people will be led away with the error of the wicked. That's what the Apostle Peter wrote. And we don't want to be led away with the error of the wicked. We want to be very cautious and very careful how we live on this earth. But think about it. When Jesus Christ 
was on the cross. And I'd like to just bounce from here today, and we'll take it into some other areas as we go. But I'd like to go back to Hebrews chapter 12. It's one of those most powerful scriptures to help the body of Christ. So you and I need to be downloaded and imparted to and supplied with uh, the revelation of the Spirit and the Word of God so that we could stand in the last days. And I believe we're in the last days, and you believe that. So here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go into a little Bible study this morning. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, honestly speaking, this is Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is the Apostle Paul, there's no evidence to it, but I believe it is, and they've never said who the writer was. But anyways, chapter 11 was all about the faith, the men and women of God who had faith throughout the ages, and he's been declaring and talking about all these people of faith, and then in chapter 12, verse 1, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all the people that have gone before us, and you and I, you know, in this, in this long race that we have been in, you and I have been handed the torch of the final lap. And I don't know if you've ever run track or not. I have. And when you run that mile or the, you know, the, the longer races and somebody sprints out and then they hand off the, tor- the, the, the baton to the next runner and they take off and they transition the baton to the next runner. And finally, you get down to that last baton where it's handed off to the final runner. And that's it. Now you're in a sprint. It's really important how you pass the baton on. People have dropped it and they've lost races for that or sloppy transition is not good. You have to actually get that baton in stride and you got to be ready to go. And our generation is receiving a baton to run this race and to finish it and to win. And we will win this race if we run with the Godspeed that God will give us. And so, again, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. You cannot run your race if you're carrying the weight of the world, the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, uh, stones in the heart of offense, unforgiveness, grudges, regrets. You can't carry that. There's nothing in your psyche, there's nothing in your suke, your soul, that can uh, carry something unnecessarily because regardless of how strong you feel, it will weigh you down. It may be the very thing that causes you to hold back, okay? And yet he's saying to us, let us lay aside every weight. What is your concern today? What is heavy on your spirit today? Well, the Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares about you. So God wants you to be prepared to run this race. So get rid of all the weights. And then he says, lay, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. How many of you know it's true? When sin becomes present, it actually sidetracks us. We become distracted. We get out of the way. We stop running. We fall back. Sin, he says, that needs to be laid aside because it so easily besets us. It holds us back. It shuts us down. And so these are things that you and I can be thinking about. Whenever you feel heavy, Whenever you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world or you have the concern about finances, concern about relationships, concerns, what do you do with those concerns? You take them to prayer. 
You lay them before the Lord. You cast those cares before God because he cares for you. You do not have to carry the weight of the world. Jesus carried the weight of the world on himself. You and I are asked to carry a cross. Each one of us has our own personal cross to bear. It is not too heavy. It's not an unbearable cross. It is a bearable cross. And so you and I, the only thing that we're carrying is the death to self life, a way of life where we're not involved and consumed with self. And I want you to know that's a really good thing because quite frankly, when we're self-consumed, when we're all inward, we really can't see all the glorious things around us. And we really can't be led by the Holy Spirit because we're being led about by our own emotions or our feelings or our flesh nature. And when we're being, when we're living that way, We're obviously not being led by the Spirit, but when we're led by the Spirit, now we're being led into the life that God has for us, which I believe is a very colorful life where miracle signs and wonders and assignments and missionary works are going to be going on daily in our lives if we just position ourselves to be led by the Spirit. So the admonition this morning out of Hebrews chapter 12 is that we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, those who have gone before us, they are in the grandstands and they are watching us. They are watching our generation and we must run. Watch what he says. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You have a race before you. You are invited into the final race, the race of life. This race began a long time ago, particularly in the church age, okay? And from generation to generation, there's been the handing off of a baton, okay? And our generation is very unique. You have to admit it's very, very unique generation. And you say, well, why is that? Well, There's a couple of reasons why. We want to talk about them real quick? All right, so if you want to think about Scripture, you have this incredible idea coming from the Apostle Peter that says one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And we know that from the time that Adam and Mrs. Adam were thrust out of the garden and time began, linear time, chronos time, we know that it has been 6,000 years Because we know it's from Adam to Abraham, we're 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus, we're 2,000 years. That's 4,000 years. From the time of Jesus to where we are now is another 2,000 years. And we're just now finalizing the end of 6,000 years and beginning, we're, we're being birthed through the birthing canal into the seventh millennium, or that would be the seventh day, because a thousand years is as a day, six days of man, seventh day. We know the seventh day is a Shabbat. It is a day of rest, and we know that there's a 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. So most likely, if we put the scriptures together without toying with them, that we are literally coming into a mathematical reality that the seventh day is upon us, which will mean that the Lord will have returned. We will have gone through the Great Tribulation. Babylon will have been destroyed, all within the context of what? Seven years, five years, three and a half years, whatever the time frame is. We know that we're on the verge of a seventh millennium, but nobody knows the exact time or day because calendars have changed. But you can go back to Genesis and see that God said, I am really, uh, I'm dismayed with man. And this is the paraphrase. And so I'm going to give him 120 years. Well, that's really interesting 
because many of the sages of the past believe when God said to Noah, I'm going to give man 120 years, that they were referring to 120 jubilees, 120 jubilees, which makes sense because people lived way beyond 120, and there are people that don't even make it to 60 today. So what was God really saying to Noah? I'm going to give 120 jubilees to mankind. Well, if you multiply a jubilee, it's 50 years. And if you multiply 120, 50, it is, always will be 6,000. It almost sounds like God said, I'm going to give man 6,000 years on this earth, and then I'm going to step into time, which is interesting because in Genesis chapter 1, God created the heavens and the earth in how many days? Six days. The first six days of creation. We don't know if the first day when God said, let there be light, if it was, an, if it was a thousand-year period of time, which represented one day, okay? But he did create everything in six days. And what did he do on the seventh day? He rested on the seventh day. Is it possible that the 120 jubilees are coming to pass? They're coming now to an end, the 6,000 years of man. God's been working for 6,000 years since the fall of man. Remember, he rested on the seventh day, man sinned, and God went right back to work, and time began. So wouldn't it be interesting that 6,000 years, the culminating and crowning achievement of his work is in his son, Jesus Christ. But now go into this understanding. We're also in the prophetic third day because we know that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And we know that that's two days ago. And we're beginning the third day. And what is it about the third day, the scriptures say? Well, the seventh day was about the Shabbat, the day of rest. There are other scriptures that tell us that Enoch was the seventh from Adam. He was a prophetic generation, and he declared the flood of Noah that was going to come, kind of like what we're doing right now. We also know that Enoch was the seventh from Adam, and he prophesied. And we know that it was Enoch who did not taste death. And Paul says, behold, I show you a mystery in 1 Corinthians 15. Not all will sleep but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. So a generation will come that will be known as an Enochian generation. And that word Enoch, by the way, means dedicated one, trained up one, or disciplined one, talking about sonship. So there will come in the last days a generation that will not taste death, but will be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye, when after the resurrection they will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. There will be a transformation of their being into eternal bodies. Wow, that's all on the seventh day. The third day is a day of what? Resurrection power. And you study the scriptures and you can go from Genesis chapter one to Revelation and find a mystery a pattern of seventh day events, third day events. And when you put them together and you understand that seven and three is 10 and 10 is the number of redemption. And three times in the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about we are redeemed. We're waiting for a greater redemption. And he talks about the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by which you are sealed unto the day of redemption. The word redemption at the deepest root is luo or lutron. And it means to melt, to break, to dissolve, to release. All creation, according to Romans chapter 8, is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the children of light will be delivered from the 
bondage of corruption. They're waiting for the bondage to break. They're waiting for the chains to break. Generational bloodline curses, human Adamic nature, no longer underneath all the elements of the bondage of this world. Wow, that is biblical. That is scriptural. So seven and three is 10. We're in the prophetic seventh day. We're in the prophetic third day. We're about to enter into them. We're coming out of the sixth day, much like Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they had to cross over the Red Sea, right, to get into, uh, or they were in Egypt. Then they had to go into the wilderness. And then it was time to come out of the wilderness. They had to go through and come out on the other side. They crossed over the Jordan River. And so there's always a crossing through, a birthing canal coming from one place to another place. And we're getting, we're in this moment of birthing. Revelation chapter 12 talks about a woman in travail. Now, wait a second. Am I going too fast for you guys? Do you understand what I'm saying here? I'm saying it's late in the hour. I'm saying that there is a biblical reality about the days that we are living in right now. Do you understand where you are in time? I think it's important that we know. But you go on and you put these scriptures together about the third day. Jesus said, today and tomorrow I do cures, but on the third day I will be perfected. And this he spoke about the temple of his body, who is the body of Christ. We are the body. There's a completion coming. There's a perfecting coming. And I could go on down with scriptures on about the seventh day. What happened on the seventh day? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 17, after six days, that would be on the seventh day, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, three disciples, up into a high mountain apart. And what happened? Well, on the Mount of Transfiguration, while these three apostles on the seventh day were taken into a high mountain, Jesus unveiled his glory. He effulgenced the glory that was in him. He began to shine like the sun, like a, like a fuller soap that had never been seen before. And they're looking at this magnificent transfiguration, which literally means to outray or to put on display. And what was Jesus doing in the seventh day among three apostles? He was outraying and putting on display the glory that was in him. Why did he show them that? Well, John chapter 17 says, Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given them. You see, you have glory on the inside of you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of God is within you. What God wants in this prophetic seventh day amongst his people is an outraying, a putting on display of the glory that is within us. But we've had a wrong configuration. So in order to have a proper transfiguration, you've got to get a right configuration. So now that we've had a wrong configuration, God's bringing apostolic doctrine back to reconfigure the present configuration so that we could have a transfiguration. Go figure, right? I mean, don't try to figure out what God's doing. Just know that you and I are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our thinking mechanism has to be renewed. So God has to bring apostolic doctrine back to the church, the apostle of the doctrines, because that is what the early church fed on. That is what inspired them. That is what transformed them. That is what gave them the ability to do the works that Jesus did. And I happen to believe we're in a double portion season, that the church in these last days are going to be doing the works of Jesus. Whew, come on. And it's a double portion work. But there's got to be a release of the glory. And as Jesus manifested forth the glory that was in him doing all the works, so that glory is going to be manifested. Then you're going to see the sun shining in its strength like the shining of seven suns. You go back to Isaiah and it says the day will come that the earth will be lit 
with the light and the glory of God. And what is that? That is not the sun rays. That is the sun, the S-O-N, shining through his body, the light rays, each one of us representing a ray of light that will illuminate the earth. Hallelujah. Are you ready for that kind of reality? Boy, it sounds a lot better than all the stuff, right? But it's true. It's biblical. We need to break it down. I wrote a little book about it years ago. I could tell you the whole story one day if you'd like to know. But anyways, here we are. Here we are. And now the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 is saying that we are to run our race with patience, looking unto Jesus. The only focus that you and I should have right now while we're running through We're running through these times. We're walking through. We're going low. We're being patient. We're we're building up endurance so that we can endure to the end. The trial that you've been going through, all life's experiences that you've had to walk through, those hurtful times, those painful times, those heavy times, right now the Lord is saying it's time to shed them off like a spring cleaning that's coming. Throw off these weights of the world, these concerns. Be hurt no more. Be pained no more. Let the joy of the Lord take you because why? The Lord is saying that you're going to walk through looking unto Jesus, the author. All those trials were designed to get your muscles strong to endure the big stuff that's coming. We've dealt with the footmen. Now comes the chariots, but we're going to beat that too, aren't we? We're going to go through because nobody could pluck us out of the hand of Jesus. Man, if your life is in the hand of Jesus, John chapter 10, no man could pluck you out of his hands. All you need to do is keep walking through these trials, accept the discipline of the Lord. Discipline of the Lord is humongous. Watch as we go. So looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. He authorized it. He began it. He's going to finish it. So don't give up. You see, you could jump out of the hand of the Lord if you want to. You can, you can do that. But no man could pluck you out of his hand. No devil can pluck you out of his hand. You want to stay in the hand of Jesus Nobody could take you away. He's your great shepherd. He's got you in the palm of his hand. Literally, he he was pierced, and that is the memory of you in his hand. That's amazing. Now he says, watch, this is what we started the program with, who for the joy that was set before him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is this scripture telling us? Jesus did what? Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What did he see? I mean, here, here's Christ on the cross, despising the shame His beard had been ripped out of his face. He had a crown of thorns in his head, blood dripping. They had just whipped him 39 stripes upon his back. I mean, they spit on him. They punched him. They mocked him. He is being literally sacrificed. He's being slaughtered as a slaughtered lamb. And it needed to be that way because that's the strength of the blood that's going to deal with the depravity and perversion of the soul of man because of sin. 
we've talked about that in Psalm 51, that this blood, when David cried, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, the word iniquity is depravity and perversion, and the word wash isn't just like give me a bath. No, it means to tread, like grapes being tread. It means to, uh, uh, there's another word, to trample. It literally in the Hebrew, to tread and to trample. So that blood of Yeshua on the cross is the effective power of God to tread and trample upon the depravity and perversion in the soul of man. Hallelujah. So he says he was, he was enduring the cross. Why? Because he saw something beyond it. You and I have to get our pineal gland cleaned up, right? We have to have eyes of faith to see beyond this moment, see beyond this trial, see beyond whatever you're going through, this contradiction, this whirly, whirly time. You have to have an eternal perspective. You have to have foresight. You have to be immersed in the Word of God, see the promises of God, and by faith believe that there is eternal life for you. You have to believe that there is a heaven for you. You have to believe that you're not going to be in this sin-sick world any longer, and you're not going to carry these old bodies around anymore. You have to believe what God has said. You don't have to, but if you have faith, you will, but don't let your faith get cold. Don't let your faith grow old. Keep your faith strong and keep looking beyond the trouble that you're in. For thank God in Jesus Christ, we have a tomorrow. There's always a moment ahead of us that will help clear the atmosphere. The storm will pass and we will stand and we will go through. So whatever you're going through, just remember you're going through. You're not destined to die in the storm. So Jesus, who's dying on the cross, knew that his destination was not that cross and a grave. He knew that he was dying, but he saw the joy of being back with his father. He saw the joy of being with the one he was with from the beginning of time, unionized once again with the Godhead. Hallelujah. And he knew that he had done what his father asked him to do. He had pleased his father. And you and I need to learn to live. How do I please you today, Father? What can I do to please you today? I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I want to do something that puts a smile on your faith. And we do know that without faith, it is impossible to please God. All right? So we want to have faith. Now, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a revelation that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. When Stephen was being stoned, he looked up and he saw the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Wow. Jesus stood from his throne to see his martyr, Stephen, killed. Wow. Jesus is alive. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus is watching. Jesus is seeing. But you have to know that you're not just here, you know, with he's up there and you're here, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says in Corinthians that Jesus Christ dwells and lives in your flesh. He lives inside of you. The scriptures are very clear, but watch this. For consider him, all right? So if you're going through a tough time or when tough times come, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. The writer of Hebrews wants you and I to consider Christ when we are in a trial. Consider the contradiction that was coming against his life, the Jewish nation, the Roman Empire, 
un, uh, disciples that fled, a disciple that betrayed him. I mean, think about what was going on when he was being strapped to the whipping post, when he was being impaled upon a cross. Imagine, and that's what he's saying, consider, so that you could see that your trial is nothing in comparison, nor mine. There isn't a trial that will ever compare to his, even if you're being beheaded for the cause of Christ, or they're burning you at the stake for the cause of Christ, you still are not carrying the weight of the world upon you, and you're not taking all the sin of the world on you. You could have no idea what that would ever feel like. So your trial, regardless, whatever you're going through, is small. So it's not without purpose. It's not without use. And it's not to be scoffed at or belittled. It's very sacred, quite frankly. My brother Luke used to tell me that all the time. Getting into some people's stuff is very sacred. Beware how you tread upon their territory, right? That's sacred ground in a man's soul, in a man's mind, a man's heart. So treat it carefully when you deal with others. However, consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. How many of you know that in the last days, the Antichrist is going to wear out the saints? That's the job. He's going to get people to feel weary. I can't go on. I can't take another step. You've probably been there before in your life, but guess what? Every time you turn to the Lord, you went another step. You've actually traveled a mile ahead, and you're in a trial, but the reality is when you are feeling weary, and you want to faint in your mind, you want to give up, you just can't do it anymore, consider Jesus Christ. Consider what he went through for you. And remember that whatever you're going through is not necessarily for yourself, although you will be perfected by the trial, but it's usually going to help other people down the road because we comfort others with the same comfort that God has comforted us through the trial. So it says in the book of Corinthians. Continuing on, it says in verse 4, watch this, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Yeah, you haven't sweat blood. What is he referring to? He's referring to Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went to pray, and all of a sudden the pressure hit him, and it says that he sweat as though it were droplets of blood. And that is a medical condition, that when intense pressure comes, they said in Nazi Germany, when the bombs were dropping, people were actually sweating droplets of blood because of the terror that was taking hold of them. The pressure that was on Jesus Christ in the garden was not a light thing. It's something you and I can never imagine, but maybe you can consider that the days of pressure that hit you, those times of, I just, are unbelievable, multiply it 10 billion times, and then you get a taste of what was going on in Jesus Christ's life in the Garden of Gethsemane. He sweat as it were droplets of blood. And what was he doing? He was resisting the temptation, Lord, take this cup for me. I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to do it. Well, you have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Are you in a battle with sin in your life? Are you have a cigarette addiction, a drug addiction, an alcoholic addiction, a pornography addiction? Well, have you yet shed blood resisting? Have you gone to war against it? Have you gone into the battle and fought it? Have you gone for deliverance? Are you confessing publicly? Are you asking for help? Are you raging and going, today I'm not going to do it? you got to fight. 
Okay? But he said, you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. And by the way, the power of the Holy Spirit will help you with every one of those addictions. There is liberty. There is freedom. There is deliverance. I promise you, in the name of Jesus Christ, there is deliverance from anything you're going through. In your mind, in your heart, in your physical body, there is victory in the name of Jesus. If that weren't true, I wouldn't be talking to you today. Verse 5. And you have forgotten, don't ever forget this, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children. Listen to the exhortation. My son, my daughter, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. The chastening of the Lord. I want to do something with your permission. I want to just ask you to be patient with me a moment. I want to put something on the screen, and I just want to give you the chastening of the Lord. All right, so that should be good enough. All right, there it is, Hebrews chapter 5. I want to give you the definition on this because I want you to see what this is about. So, you have forgotten... The exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children, my son, my daughter, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. The word chastening there is the habidit, uh, the padia, the padia. All right. Now that word actually means tutorage. Okay. Don't despise the tutoring of the Lord, the education or the training. The disciplinary correction, okay, instruction. So this is a very calm kind of a word here. And all he's saying, and I like some of this other definition in the Greek, it literally means do not despise the whole training, the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind and morals, and employs for this purpose now commands and admonitions. All right. It also includes the training and care of the body, which is really important. So whatever in adults also cultivates the soul, especially by correcting mistakes and curbing passions. All right. It's a very good definition. Now, my son, do not despise the chastening what we just read, of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Now that word rebuked literally is the elenco, the elenco, and it simply means to confute or to admonish or to convict, to tell a fault. So if God wants to tell you a fault about yourself, don't despise it. Okay, let's go back to it. Uh, and so that's really the meaning there is the conviction. So do not despise. And by the way, let's look at the word despise real quick. The word despise there is, it's an interesting word, the allegoreo, the allegoreo, which means to have little regard for or disesteem. Don't disesteem, don't have little regard for the chastisement and the rebuke of the Lord. That's what it says. In verse 5, verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, okay? Now, this is interesting because it's a little bit different of a word here. 
For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. The word chasten here simply means to train up a child, to educate, to discipline by punishment. All right? So God has a thing where he brings punishment, but it's the kind of punishment that from a father to a child. It's for good education. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But here's the hard part, and I think a lot of us have a hard time with this, but it's what the Word of God says. Whom he loves, he chastens and scourges. That's the mastigo. And that word scourge literally means to flog, to flog. And if you go into the deeper root of that, it literally means, and this is the mastix in the Greek, through the idea of a whip, oof, the Roman flagellum for criminals. Wow. It also means through the idea of contact, it means misfortune, discipline, punish. So what does God do? Listen to this. Whom, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges. He'll whip our butts. He scourges every son whom the Lord loves. He chastens and scourges every son and daughter whom he receives, whom he receives, whom he receives. Okay, watch. This is, this is pretty amazing. And then he says this in verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons and daughters. For what son is he whom the father chastens not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all the children are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. The word bastard that is used here is the nothos, and it literally means illegitimate. Illegitimate. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that every one of us, all of God's children that he receives, he deals with us as a father, education, discipline, instruction. He'll actually send a plague. I didn't want to read it in the definition, but that's what it said. It, that in that word of scourging literally means sending a plague. He'll, in other words, he'll trouble your life with problems if you need it. I mean, he knows what will really bring discipline to our lives, right? But here he's saying that if you're not, if you reject it, if you lightly esteem it, if you reject the discipline of God, if you're on your own, if you're an isolationist, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to speak into my life. Not even God. I mean, I'm not going to receive anything as a, as a trouble because I've been trained that my life as a Christian is supposed to be all a bed of roses. I'm supposed to get all the wealth of the world, store it up, live my best life now, then die, go to heaven, no problems. Well, that's not what God's really after, is it? To give you and I a bunch of stuff. He's after a divine nature in us. Amen? He wants godly character to be manifested in our lives. And we have been under the rod of the Lord for a long time. And he's going to continue to work as long as we allow him to do so. And he's going to continue to work until he drives out of us, until we get it, 
the things that are unholy and ungodly in our lives. And if we get weary and we give up and we say, I don't want to do it any longer, well, things are put on pause and maybe worse than that. But here's the, here's the deal. You don't want to be illegitimate. I'm talking to the true sons and daughters of God. God's talking to us, okay? We are the real deal. Are you okay with that? We are the real deal. We are truly apprehended men and women by the very hand of God. We have been apprehended by him. He has received us. We have come to him, and we have been sincere. We have genuinely confessed Jesus Christ. We have confessed our sins. We have received the Holy Spirit. We are aware and are convicted by the things that are not right. We pick up the cross. We apply the word of God. We walk by faith. We do all these things, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're the real deal. And because we are, we are in the hand of God, and he is working a discipline in us because he will not have children. What he needs in these last days are fully matured sons and daughters after the order of Jesus Christ in nature and in character. That's the kind of end time army he's raising up. And we may be in boot camp right now, but man, he's going to really, things got to speed up now. And I really believe that we've been in boot camp. I don't care if it's been 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, boot camp to make sure everything is done. We've been doing a lot of on the job training as we go, but what we're coming into there's got to be an eradication of every solical thing that is contrary to the will of God. The flesh nature has to have been fully subdued and put under by you and I personally. Okay? There's got to be a, a pathway of God to relate to us and to reveal things to us. We have to be wide open. Our spiritual pineal, pineal gland needs to be wide open to the Lord. Okay? We have to be eyes of faith wide open. Okay, so now he says, furthermore, verse 9, we have had fathers of our flesh, your mom, your dad, okay, your dads, which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Okay, we honored them. That word reverence there is the entrepo, and that word means, in a good sense, to respect, to regard. We respected, okay, the discipline of our fathers. Sometimes people haven't had good disciplinary fathers. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a good sense, a beautiful sense, where a parent corrects their children for the right reason, to train them, to teach them, to discipline them, to become better than that. So, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live. What a mystery is there. God is the father of our spirit. He is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God's not the God of our flesh. God's not the God of our human nature. Satan is the God and the father of human nature. Ephesians 2 tells us all about that. But God is the father of our spirit. And should we not be in subjection? And that word subjection there, which is, again, a very difficult word for some people, it's the hupatasso, and the word hupatasso literally means to subordinate, to obey, to be under obedience, 
or to put oneself under, to be in subjection. That's a beautiful thing. And who are we subordinating to? Well, to the Father. Should we not rather be in subjection under the Father of spirits and live? For verily, verse 10 says, or for they verily, the fathers that were correcting us in the flesh, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he, Father God, for our profit. Okay, and that word profit there, the P-R-O-F-I-T, literally means, and it's the word sumfero, and it literally means to bear together, to contribute, to collect, to conduce, to be better for, to become expedient and profitable. So God is disciplining you and I that we may be profitable. What scripture goes along with that? Second Timothy chapter 2, per, he who purges himself from these things will be a vessel meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Okay? So we become useful to the Lord, and he's helping us to become useful to him. You want to be useful to the Lord today. I want to be useful to the Lord today. What has he got to do? He's got to discipline me. He's got to bring me. And my job is to subject myself to him. Okay? So he is disciplining me so that I could be more profitable to him and his purpose on this earth. And that profitability comes through my transformation, the divine nature, the character of God that he put in me through seed form When I was born again, I believe that just as we began in the flesh with liquid semen, and that's what we started out as, and we became. Well, I believe that when God puts his seed into our hearts, that we become the sons of God. There is a becoming, and we want to become what God has intended us to be. And we don't want to thwart the process by treating lightly the discipline of the Lord. We don't want to thwart the process by not subordinating or subjecting ourselves unto him. We need to continue in our spirit to accept what God is doing in our lives and not give up and not give in and not turn away and say, I'm out of here. Too many people have quit the training course. And they've never become the SEALs. They've never become the Green Beret. They never become the Special Forces because they gave up at the very moment if they would have just endured a little bit more, the breakthrough would have come. Oh, my goodness. Don't give up. Now, what does he say in verse 10? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Wow, we're to be partakers of the holiness of God, the hagiotes. And that word hagiotes is a sanctification in a moral sense. In other words, becoming like him. He who is holy, be holy, right? Be ye holy as I am holy. This is an interconnectedness. This is a joining of God's spirit and our spirit where we were created in the image and likeness of God. That becomes a reality again. That is not a sci-fi movie or a thought that's impossible to the mind of God. God's original intent was to make man in his own image and likeness. He was holy and sin defiled that. And now through Christ's blood, we could be holy again, become like him. But we got to shed some things we got to put off some things. This is the labor of the Lord. Oh, I pray that you and I would endure this process and become what God has called us to be. We can do it, and we need to help each other, by the way. And then he says this. 
in verse 11. Now, and, and, and you need, this is true, no chastening, no discipline, none of it. For the present seems to be joyous. Amen. <laughs> All right, so no discipline. When God's <laughs> disciplining us, that's not fun. That's not joyful. I know what we want to do. We want to run with dad. We want to be with dad. We want to go to work with dad. We want to spend time with him. But man, when we get put on timeout, when we get disciplined, that's not joyful. That hurts. And we have to understand that the reason why we're being disciplined because we're not pleasing him. You see, we're on discipline because we're not pleasing him because he's after something in us. When we cooperate with him, we're moving on. He loves that. But he sees things in us that are not what he wants. And he instructs us and he tells us and he educates us and he teaches us and he does all that. But when we still don't repent, then he has to bring in the scourge. And that's not joyful. So again, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, after the discipline, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wow. So in other words, there's a reason, there's a purpose for what we're going through. It's not always the devil. I'd like to think sometime, oh, that's the devil. When in reality, God just said, you know what? I'm not pleased with what you just did. I, I don't like what you just did. I've told you about it. I've trained you about it. I, I've educated you about what to do and in this area, and, I, and you just did it, and I'm, you're, you're going into the discipline mode. <laughs> Stop doing that. Stop acting that way. Stop doing that. Don't touch that. Don't participate in that. Get away from that. I told you. I told you. You're displeasing me by what you did. And, and then what we do in our spirit says, dear Father in heaven, forgive me. Forgive me. This was against you. And you only have I sinned, said David, after he murdered Bathsheba's husband and committed adultery and brought forth a child that died. He finally came and said, this look, against you I sinned. It wasn't against Bathsheba. It wasn't against her husband. It was against you. And when we begin to see that and, and begin to live that way, that I've done something that I knew God educated me, told me don't do that anymore, and I keep doing it, either one of two things. In Isaiah, he says, I'm not going to reprove you anymore. Remember Isaiah chapter 1? Let me just hold my finger here, and I just want to read this to you. God forbid this happens to any of us. Isaiah chapter 1, and I'll just pick it up in verse 4. A sinful nation of people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Watch this. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there's no soundness in it. God literally says, why should I strike you anymore? Why should I discipline you anymore? You're just going to keep revolting now, that's a hard heart. And when we resist the Lord, we don't ever want to hear God say, 
you know what? You've hardened your heart to my discipline. You're not receiving my correction, my conviction. You're not yielding, submitting, repenting. You're, you're, you're getting more bold in this and you're getting hardened. There's only one thing I could do now. I could turn you over to judgment. Now you're going to get turned over to judgment. And if that judgment doesn't correct you, which Paul the Apostle said, turn such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul may be saved. See, this is hardcore, right? So going back to Hebrews, he says that the the end result of God's purpose of discipline is to produce a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Praise God. So that we've learned to do what is right. We just don't do what is wrong anymore. And we should know the difference between right and wrong. God surely has educated us what we should be doing and not doing. Now in verse 12, wherefore, now because there's a good result, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down (sighs) and the feeble knees, right? So lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. You're weakened, right? And make straight paths for your feet. The reason you're in that condition, right, be honest, the reason why we get there is because we got off the beaten path. We got off the narrow path. We got off the straight path. Somewhere we did something that brought weakness, and we've had to be reproved and rebuked and corrected by our Father. And he's waiting to see, are you going to yield to my correction and subject yourself, or do I need to turn you over to the devil and let him begin to bring judgment and whipping upon you. I mean, that's kind of the way it works. And then if you don't repent after the, after the judgment, now I'm going to turn you over to destruction. So he says, if you're, if, you're, if you're cooperating with the Lord, lift up the hands which hang down, the feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame, the thing that's weak, if you don't do this, that which is lame will be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. You see, our sin, our getting off the narrow path, our turning away from God, hardening our hearts, whatever it takes, it creates a weakness. It makes us lame. It makes us lame. But he's saying, if you'll, if you'll repent and you'll make straight paths for your feet, in other words, get on track again with the Lord, accept his judgment, his discipline, okay, get on track, then that thing that is hurt or lame, rather than being turned out of the way, let it rather be healed. So there's healing for the weaknesses that are created because of our sin. There's healing and wholeness, okay? And this is the hour, by the way, here's a word from the Lord right now. This, this, we are in the hour that God is going to bring things into your life, but they're not transitory things, Okay. You know, you've been praying for your wayward children. Oh, you haven't heard from them for years. And you've been putting a lot of prayer in, Lord, I, I bring back the prodigals, bring back the prodigals. And all of a sudden, you get a phone call out of nowhere, and it's your prodigal son, your prodigal daughter. And you're thrilled for a moment, but then things break down, and things don't work out, and they're not really ready. Listen, you are now in a season that God is going to bring miraculous signs, gifts, miracles into your life, that are going to have substance and are going to remain. There are things coming to you for your obedience to God, for your obedience to God in what we're talking about. 
for you're allowing him to bring forth in you the character that he's after in all these things. There are miracles. Hear me. This is not the word of a man. Miracles are coming into your life. Signs, wonders, things that are going to thrill your heart. For God knows the desire of your heart. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're going to have it. And it's not going to go, oh, there it goes. It's not transient. It's going to remain. And it's going to be weighty. And it's going to have substance to it. That is coming. And usually, that is going to come in an area of your life where something has broken down or brought pain or hurt. Something that is missing. God is going to restore unto you seven times what the locust has eaten, Joel chapter 2. Just need you to know there are rewards for our obedience according to the word of God. So he says that there'll be a healing. And then verse 14 in Hebrews 12, follow peace. This is a tough one. This is really tough right now. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. To follow, when he says follow peace, it's dioko, all right? To follow means to, let's see, pursue, pursue peace, okay, and sue. Press forward is the definition. So, Follow, pursue, peace. That word peace is the irene, and I love this. This is, a, this is a great definition. This goes back to 2 Peter chapter 3. It literally means a state of national tranquility. So nationally, this could be done. But on a personal level, it means literally the exemption from the rage and havoc of war. That's peace. But it means peace between individuals, harmony and accord. So in the definition, it literally means to be set at one again, to be set at one. When a married couple is in strife and conflict and there's disunion, it's the hardest thing ever in the whole world. Pursuing peace is bringing that relationship back into one again, to set at one again, harmonize again. Relationships with brothers and sisters in the church. When there's disunity, chaos, and confusion. You want peace, harmony, accord, set at one again. Pursue it. Maybe you think they should pursue it. You pursue it. You be the peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. I believe it is. So be a peacemaker, pursue peace. And what will it produce? Quietness and rest and prosperity of soul and mind. This is a key. Now, he also says, and holiness. And what are we doing? We're following the hagios, right? That's the word. This, this is the hagiosmos. And it means a consecrated and purified life. Literally, what he's saying here, pursue the effect of the consecration. In other words, consecrate is holiness, but pursue the effect of that consecration. It's the purification, the purity, the holiness, the sanctification. This is something God wants you and I to pursue, okay, in the midst of all that's going on here. Now listen, 
He said, looking, he said, without holiness, by the way, without the effect of the consecration, no man will see the Lord. And that's just what, the way God ordained it. Verse 15 says, looking diligently. Now, this is huge. Okay, this is huge. Looking diligently. That means really anticipating, inspecting, peering into, looking diligently. Let me give you the actual definition, all right, because this is what we're to do. It's the episcopio, okay, the episcopio, and it literally means to oversee, beware, take the oversight, inspect, okay, look carefully, looking diligently at what? Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, I know we're saved by grace, but the writer of the book of Hebrews says, look diligently, lest any man fail. That word fail is the hysterio, and that means to what? To be later, to be inferior, to fall short, to come behind, to be destitute, to suffer, to be the worse. Okay? So, Look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. In other words, come behind in the grace of God. Fail the grace of God. What happens? Why would that be? Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. What are we to be watching out in this sin-sick world, in our lives? What are we diligently being aware of? That there is no root. Now, the word root there, and I know we know what it means. It's the zhudza, and it means to that which like a root springs from a root, a sprout, a shoot. Um, you know, it also means the progeny or the offspring. Maybe you're, this is what we talk about, generational bloodline curses, that you actually are born out of a root system organically from the bloodline of your father and your mother. In other words, you're the offspring of a bitter root. Maybe not your own bitterness, but the bitterness of your mother and father. That's why it's important to deal with generational bloodline curses. If your daddy was bitter, if there's, uh, if there's roots going all the way back, you got to deal with those. It's not just always dealing with ourselves, right? So beware Looking diligent, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root, or you become the offspring, of bitterness. And that's the picria. And that word means the gall or extreme wickedness. A bitter root, bitter hatred, acidity. That's, you ever hear of an acidic cancer thrives in, a, in an acidic body, right? So the acidity or poison. Is your father that way? Was there extreme wickedness in your bloodline? Was there angry, bitter, hateful, poisonous stuff going on in people that you know in your life or in yourself? He said that this bitter root springs up and troubles you. Look at that. Lest any root of bitterness springing up, literally coming forth out of you at the right time, the devil knows how to do it. If it's there, it's there. It springs up, it troubles you. And that word trouble is an oclio, and it means to disturb or to annoy or to crowd in. But really, the word is annoyance. 
Are you easily annoyed? Is there something annoying going on in your life? Well, beware. It's a bitter root springing up. It's going to annoy you, trouble you. And by that bitter root, thereby, many be defiled. Many. The word defiled there is ma'io, no, or ma'ino, ma'ino, whatever. It literally means to sully or taint, to contaminate ceremonially or morally. We're talking here about a contamination or a pollution. Many be polluted and contaminated by the bitter root. You and I were told in this scripture that we are to make diligent search concerning the issue of a bitter root because it will defile. And he uses this example in verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, that's the bitter root, that's the poison, the hatred, the anger, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. You got to ask yourself a question. The peace, the harmony, the love you've experienced, is it worth allowing a bitter root to spring up and defile all that, to contaminate and pollute the condition of your soul? And if that happens, what do you have to do? You got to go down to the root. Maybe the root's in your father. Maybe the root was in your mother. Do you ever remember your mom and dad? Were they bitter? Were they angry? Did they have poison and hatred? Did they get violent? Did they exact, you know, get excited about things? Was it in your grandmother or grandfather on both sides? Was there extreme wickedness in the bloodline? Was there perversion, depravity? What was going on down there? Do you know? Well, maybe you don't know, but God knows. And if you want to deal with it, you could ask God to cleanse by the, and I don't mean cleanse here in the light way, you could ask God to wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, David said, my perversion and depravity, which may have been from a bloodline curse, a root that goes back that produces bitter fruit. And you know what I'm talking about. You're having a nice day. You've been going to church. You're in harmony. But this thing just comes up at a certain moment. It's triggered. And all of a sudden, there it is, defiling everything polluting and contaminating the environment that was once at peace and pure and clear and joyful and sunny. And now it's gone. So what does he say to do? You got to deal with it. Lest you become like Esau. Verse 17, for you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, in other words, before this bitter root came, he was tempted with his hunger, this, that, and the other thing. And Afterward, if he would have endured it, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. What is God saying? Usually the demonic intelligence knows when a blessing's coming your way. I don't know how that knows. I don't even know if it's actually true. It just seems to be an intelligence that at the precise moment that God's ready to do something, the enemy sends something to bring contamination and pollution through a bitter root in your life that's been undealt with. And he, and he sullies everything. 
He makes it ugly and messy. It's time to deal with that if it's an issue. Diligently look. What's wrong? What, what, what keeps coming up? What springs up and troubles me, annoys me, vexes and sullies and contaminates and pollutes the internal environment of my soul? Where's that coming from? What is that? Is it disappointment? Is it discontentment? What is it? Is it coming from a bloodline curse? Is it coming from my, the sins I've committed in my life? What is this? I don't want it anymore. And you go to war with it. You take that blood that was trampled and tread on, that violent blood, and you take that into that area and you put it on the altar and you allow God to tread it and trample that area down. Super important. Super important. And then we don't want to be rejected by God. We don't ever want to be rejected, but we're warned. We are warned in Scripture that we can be rejected by God because we haven't dealt with a bitter root, which normally means we haven't forgiven. And if we're not forgiving, then we're not going to be forgiven. Well, that's it. I I just feel very led to stop right there. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, any questions or comments? The number to call is 818-369-0326. You may say, you know, these Bible studies, you know, what are they for? We, we should be talking about end time events, and we always do. You know we do. Um, but this is the stuff that is eternal, these are the things that need to be looked at by us. <clears throat> I have got a call coming in from area code 208. And I think that's my brother Art calling in. Let's take a listen to. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Good morning. Hey, brother Art. How are you today, sir? Too bad. I had a couple of scriptures I wanted to throw in with your teaching there about the chastisement of the Lord. Yes, sir. The Lord please. gave me Romans five three, which is very important to be a, to uh, glory also in your tribulations that bring forth patience, bring forth hope. And then the other one was Philippians 4, 6, to be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to the Lord. I don't like the, the term request, so I use it as a petition. So I don't like to second guess the Lord or demand or request anything. <clears throat> so... I usually do that as a prayer and a petition. And I just wanted to share that with everybody. Very good, Art. Well, we appreciate that. 
We've, we appreciate that very much. And those are scriptures that give us hope. And, you know, God is good. I mean, he has been so gentle with us and so good to us for such a long time. He is not going to give up on anybody. And these scriptures help us to stay the course and to always have that eternal perspective of what lies before us. And that's such a good thing to remember always that um, we should not faint because there's a great purpose in all of this, isn't there? Yes. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, Brother Art, thank you for calling in. I appreciate you. Good. I appreciate you, too. <laughs> well, thank you, sir. Say that again, Art. I say I got John Baker Radio so I can watch you there. Oh, good, good. A little later time when I'm not up this early for me, see? Okay. <clears throat> okay. Well, we had a great conversation with uh, Brother Mark yesterday all the way from Mexico. And I got to tell you, Art, okay. I, you know, I maybe was trying to steer away from this conversation. Um, but I got to tell you that I heard things yesterday after the broadcast uh, Mark and I and another brother were talking and sharing some thoughts about things going on in the upper echelons of uh, this governmental system. And I, I became very disturbed, if you want to know the truth, uh, when I heard things. And uh, I tell you, I've been wrestling in my soul about the things that I heard because I don't understand uh, what our part in this should be and our responsibility um, and I just want to be super careful about talking about this particular issue. And I'm not sure if I should just let it go, not say anything, leave it alone, because it's a shame to speak of those things that are done of them in secret. Uh, but there's some really bad things going on in our society that uh, the cover has been taken off in the sense that exposure has been made. But yet that exposure is not affording um, a rebuke to what's happening. It just is all happening. And there's very little response to it. Um, and I, I, I guess I need to really hold back and just wait for a moment uh, before getting into this stuff. But, um, man, there's just some ugly stuff going on in society. And we, the church, need to understand that we are walking through an environment that is polluted. We are walking through a polluted environment on this earth right now. And we've got to keep ourselves from that pollution internally, um, and yet it's as, as though Lot in his righteous soul being vexed every day by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Well, there are some filthy things going on in our society right now, and uh, as a man, I guess, uh, there are some of us that are just not understanding how are we to just sit back and do nothing about what they do, and yet they run positions of power in our society, and I'm sorry for being so uh, evasive, but um, i just kind of struggling with those things right now, Art. Question. After yeah. the show, will you call me and share that with me? I certainly will. I'll do it. Okay. Give me a shout in about the one uh, thing. Yeah. The one thing I wanted to share with people, too, Gay Gates, as I call him, Bill Gates, uh, Internet says he's a homosexual. He's an atheist. He owns most of the farmland. He wanted that mandatory vaccination or you can't fly, pump gas, you can't do nothing. 
And I texted you about that. That, that looked like that's yeah. going to become the mark of the beast. And since he owns most of farmland, this deep freeze will naturally put a stall back on food production. And if not, Gates, he can control it. And since he's an atheist anyway, he don't have no feelings for nobody. No repentance, no nothing. Who's he going to repent to? Another thing, he wants to dim the sun, which will hinder all crops because they need the sunlight. And let them ocean plants produce oxygen, the same as forests and other stuff. Hmm. That can make it kind of hard to breathe running around there with no oxygen. Hmm. So yeah, these are things absolutely. people need to pray about. That the Lord will step in, take control of that, and stop it. Yeah, fact, amen. Let's just pray about that. All right, let's do it. Let's do it right now. But let's right. let's pray for protection <laughs> over little boys and girls from the ages of yes. baby nine month babies up into five, six, seven years old. Where well, let's pray for their protection as well today. Would you, please? All right. All right. Because, yeah, I know Pelosi's been in on that sex trafficking along with Hillary. Well, Art, Art, it's so not much just stuff the, out there. Yeah, it, it's not just the sex trafficking, now that we're going here. It's the understanding, and this has been verified by sources that are intelligent and are showing the truth, and it's become like, yeah, of course, that's common in Hollywood. This is where grown men and women are feasting on the blood of babies, little boys and girls, they are, it's called adrenochrome, adrenochrome, and it's some kind of the chromosomes that they get the adrenal flowing in a little child after terrorizing them, that these grown adults are taking these little children, terrifying them with masks of terror, and then raping them and while they rape them and kill them, that blood, that adrenal has run through their body. They are now drinking that, and they say it's like a shot of euphoria, makes them look younger and gives them incredible agelessness, energy. And when I heard this, it shocked me, and I thought, this can't be true. I heard it years ago. But it came out again yeah. that this is what's going on in our society. And you talk about Jeffrey Epstein's pedophile island and what was going on over there. And all these babies and all this killing and all these babies' blood and parts being used. But to think that people do this, it did something to me. And I, and I didn't want to talk about it. But quite frankly, I just can't imagine living in a world knowing that in the upper echelons of government that these people are doing this and nobody's doing anything about that. And I, I'm disturbed by it. And either I have to leave it alone and get away from it, not think about it, and just let God deal with it. Uh, or something else, because that to me is the most disturbing thing I've ever heard in my life. And, and, and to me, it makes no <laughs> sense that there's nothing being done about it. So you might want to pray for that as well. Okay. That's, that's part of it. That's why when I use Ezekiel 20 to 30, where he sought for even just one man to stand the gap and the whole nation perished, they're all complacent. So we'll include that. So, Lord, as we come before you here today, 
We're going to stand the gap against all the sex trafficking and this baby mutilation. We'll call it incest, rape, trafficking, whatever it is, because we need this government cleaned up, Lord, and the very people that we have elected, Lord, are into all these atrocities. And it's it's all got a money thing on it, Lord. The love of money just waxes their mind cold and they have no repentance. They claim to be Christian. Their works be dying. That's Titus one fifteen sixteen, Matthew seven sixteen. You know them by their fruits. You tell us, Lord, we can relay these scriptures back to you in our petition. So we petition the safety of all of your people, all of these little unborn children and the minors, all of them. So we want to stand the gap for everybody around the world that is subject to all of this, just like the ones who rounded up their buddies and sold them in slavery back in the day and still do it. Our country don't have slavery, but we're still slaves to the system, Lord. And so that's why, Lord, I've been praying for judgment. Nobody bends their knee until tribulation hits. When things are going good, they don't even know you. So we ask you, Lord, to make such a mighty move across the nations that these people will sense your presence and that they will humble themselves before you. That it will override all of their senseless teaching that God don't exist or he paid for your sin. You can do anything you want. You're saved forever. You can't be lost. We know, Lord, your word says they went up from amongst us, but they never were of us. And so so we just pray for all of them, Lord, that are in your care, your covering. But we pray for that mighty move, Lord, whether it takes tribulation or a direct move of you and your Holy Spirit, Lord. It's going to be a prayer and our petition today. We love and praise you. We thank you. We're going to lay this all on the altar to your feet. We're going to trust it in your hands. We're going to give you all the praise, honor, and the glory. And we love and praise you. Thank you. We do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Art. I've got a a couple more calls coming in. God bless you, intercessor of God. God bless your prayers. And it was so refreshing to hear that somebody was praying for judgment and not feeling queasy about it. We certainly need it in this land. Let's take our next call coming 479-238. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome to the broadcast. You're on the air. Good morning, Pastor. That adrenochrome, the number one lab in the world is in Wuhan, China. Go figure that out. And that's not just speculation. Anybody that wants to do their research and dig deep into it, uh, it'll take them a while, but they'll find out everything they need to know about it. And and it is about the most disgusting. They'll pay up to $10,000 for a mile of adrenochrome. And, and it's the most disgusting thing. Uh, anybody that says that God's not going to judge this is a fool. And we need to pray for God's judgment and for it to be swift and righteous. And it always is going to be righteous when he judges but uh, people ought not be surprised when that judgment comes down. It's just like the, the pro-life bill that's before the Arkansas Senate. The Senate passed it, and now it's before the House. 
but the supposedly Republican governor that we have, supposedly pro-life, said he doesn't know if he's going to sign it or not. So, Mr. Hutchison, I'm not even going to call him governor because he's been compromised for years. He's not sure if he's going to sign the pro-life bill that would stop abortion in Arkansas, with the rare exception of to save a mother's life. That's the only exception to the bill. And he doesn't think he's, uh, he hasn't made a decision on whether or not he's going to sign it. So when you take all that together and, and wonder why these people are compromised and the body parts that are being sold and you follow the money, it just kind of makes you wonder why they stand in the positions that they do. Anyway, I'll hang up and listen, Pastor. Have a pleasure. Right. Well, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that call. Um, absolutely, it's true. As a matter of fact, we've been considering the possibility that Supreme Court justices and political uh, positions of power, the people that are in them have a lot of dirt on them, and so they're just bribed to do whatever they tell them to do, and uh, that seems to be the case. But, yep, uh, really, really bad stuff. Remember today, tonight when the sun sets, Purim, read the book of Esther if you want to. Start in chapter 9. Read the whole story. Spend your day reading Esther. Today, when the sun sets tonight, Purim begins. That's the day that God told the Jewish people who were going to be murdered and slaughtered. There had been a decree against them to gather together and to fight for their lives, for their children, for their spouses. The decree of Haman was turned, and the Jewish people stood up and fought for their lives. With what's coming down the pike in our society, I believe God will tell us, fight your spiritual warfare. Defend yourselves against the ungodliness. Pray right now, and I do in Jesus' name, that Governor Hutchinson or that man, Mr. Hutchinson, will sign that pro-life bill in the name of Jesus, that whatever they have on him, God's got more on him than they've got on him, and he'll fear the Lord, and he will sign that to keep Arkansas the ark that God intended it to be in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Patricia, my beloved's up there shouting out to heaven. Hallelujah. So anyways, that's how we fight, and this is how we fight our battles. Hey, have a great day. I'm Pastor Vince. Got to go see you tomorrow with bells on. Till we meet again, thanks for tuning in. Shalom. Right now, Omega Radio, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's a roundtable discussion that's going to help you grow exponentially. I hope you'll go there. 24-7, omegaradio.org. God bless.